happy Mother's Day. I'm glad I get to spend it with you, and I'm excited about what it is that I think God has shown me to share with specifically you ladies today. I'm so glad to be with you this Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all of you ladies in the room. And I feel like God has given me something special to share with you today, so I'm excited to do that. You know, as we're here, I know we're all thinking about women who have invested in us, whether our moms, our mothers-in-law, or women who have stood in the place of mom in our life. But there was a man, along with his wife and mother-in-law, who traveled on a vacation to the Holy Land. While there, his mother-in-law passed away. The undertaker came to him and said, we can ship her body home for 5,000 shekels, or you can have her buried here in the Holy Land for 150 shekels. Well, the man thought about it for a little while and came back to the undertaker and said, you know what, we're just going to go ahead and have her shipped home. The undertaker said, why would you spend 5,000 shekels to send her home when she could be buried here and it would be wonderful and it would only cost you 150 shekels? The man said, there was a man who died here 2,000 years ago. He was buried, and then on the third day, he rose again. I just can't take that chance. <laughs> and they had to travel a long way to get that body back home. You know, when I think about my mom or my mother-in-law, for a long time, the word travel was something I thought about because we lived really far apart. There were many roads that we took to be together. There was the road we took to lay my grandmother to rest, and there were many roads we took to go on vacation together, full of laughter and fun memories. There was the road they traveled to come meet Addison for the first time when she was born, and then a few years later to come meet Emily. You know, there's just something about a road. When you think about your life, you know, we're all on a journey, right? You might think that your life's road should look like this. Nice and straight, all going in one direction, no deviations, but unfortunately that's not realistic, is it? We start off and we might be doing well and then our friend hurts us and we grow bitter and we just can't get over it or those words come out of our mouth and there is no way we can bring them back. Or we make that decision and end up losing our job or our family because of it. Or we've been really stagnant in our faith and we want to get closer to God, but we really don't want to do what it takes to get closer to Him. Or we try that one thing that one time and then it becomes a vice for us that just seems to control us and we can't get past it. And before we know it, this is more what the road looks like that represents our life. When I was a kid, we lived in Fort Collins, Colorado really cool place to live, right in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains. And many times on the weekends, my parents would take us hiking, which was so much fun. But one of the things I remember is we would always have to drive to the bottom of wherever we were going to be hiking that day. And the roads would be narrow and windy. And I just remember looking over and being sure that at any moment the car was just going to fall over the edge and we were going to all plummet to our death at the bottom of the mountain. It terrified me. I did not trust the guardrails that were there. And some of you today, you might feel like that about your life. Like you were on this crazy 
curvy road, and it just feels like at any minute you are going to fall off of the road and plummet to your death. You know, Naomi found herself walking a road similar to this. She and her family had traveled from the promised land, which represented God's best for his people. And they had gone mile upon mile, intentionally in the wrong direction, through desert, through river, and finally ended up in Moab. It was in Moab that she encountered heartache upon heartache, losing her husband and her sons, and being left with no way to provide for herself or her two daughters-in-law. And after about 10 years, they got back on the road that led them back to Judah. Ruth 1.7 says, With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. She had been gone a long time. But when she got back on the road, she discovered the road was being used for a greater redemptive purpose. I like to call this redemption road. You see, so many times our sins and our shortcomings and our faults can make us feel so defeated, but redemption road reminds us of Paul's words in Romans 8, 28, and 29. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. We know that God is in the business of making beauty from ashes. I love what author Paul David Tripp says. As great as is the miracle that sinners by grace can be restored to God, he knows that there is something else that must be addressed. Sin not only left us separate from God, it left us damaged too. He will not leave his work of redemption until every heart of every one of his children has been fully transformed by his powerful grace. Naomi enters Redemption Row with both of her daughters-in-law, but they don't make it very far before she stops them. Ruth 1.8 records her goodbye speech to them. Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you, as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Naomi loves these ladies, and she wants what's best for them. And, and you can tell that their love is mutual because the way they respond is through weeping. They don't want to leave her. But eventually Orpah decides, okay, she will go back home. Maybe she sees the logic in it. It's certainly a more comfortable choice to go back home. And so she says goodbye and gathers her things and turns and walks away. And as Ruth and Naomi stand on that dusty desert road to Judah, and watch Orpah's form disappear into the distance, we see just how great the impact is that Naomi has had, and Ruth's life especially. See, for Ruth to go home equals comfort. That's all the things she's ever known. It's her family, it's her culture, her deities, it's financial security, and certainly a better option for getting remarried. To go with Naomi, she doesn't know what that will look like. That means trading everything she knows for something that she doesn't know anything about. And there's no promise of how that is going to turn out in the end. 
So what is it that makes her choose the latter when the former was so much more attractive? Could it be that God in his infinite wisdom had designed for Naomi to go to the land of Moab to call Ruth out to be his own? See, when we look at Naomi's life, we think she was in Moab by mistake, but God took that and he turned it for good. And it's really cool when you think about the fact that he called Ruth out for a purpose because she was not an Israelite. She was not one of his chosen people, and yet he had big plans for her. Don't miss this. This means that nobody is too far, nobody is too unworthy, nobody is too unlovable for God in his grace to call to be his own. This is good news for us, and he seeks us out that we might be in relationship with him, and that is amazing grace. And on Redemption Road that day, that is what Ruth chooses. She chooses to share the faith Naomi has in the one true God instead of the things she's been taught her whole life. So on Redemption Road, God takes Naomi's faith that had been fruitless and makes her faith fruitful. Now notice, Ruth doesn't put her faith in Yahweh, the God of Israel, until they are on Redemption Road. Now she's known Naomi for about 10 years, and we know in verse 8 when Naomi is blessing Orpah and Ruth, she blesses them in the name of the Lord. So it's not like Naomi lost her faith while she was in Moab. But when they enter the road, Naomi's experiencing a sort of humility and emptiness. She's in circumstances that she cannot explain, but she has not lost her faith. And that is when Ruth puts her faith in God. I think sometimes we think that we have to be able to answer every single question about God or our life has to be perfectly in order in order for our faith to be attractive to other people. But I think the more that I've gotten to know people who don't follow Jesus, the more I realize that most of the time they're not that interested in how well I can answer all their questions about the Bible or about God. They want to see my true, tested faith. They want to know when the tough times hit, how am I going to respond then? Is God still good then? Do I still call him good when I can't explain what's going on to myself? I guess the question then becomes, while we allow God to transform us through our circumstances, whatever they may be, who is watching? Who is watching? Are we in authentic relationships with people who don't know Jesus so that they can see our faith at work? And for those of us who are moms or grandmas or great-grandmas, what are our kids or our grandkids or our great-grandkids seeing? They are building their theology of God each and every day. On Redemption Road, God also takes Naomi's self-governed wisdom and turns it into God-given wisdom. As the ladies arrive in Judah, God gives Naomi wisdom that she is able to share with Ruth, and it impacts Ruth's life in a great way. Because Naomi guides Ruth through the courtship and eventual marriage to Boaz. We see her guidance in Ruth 3, 1 through 2. 
says, One day Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? Is not Boaz a kinsman of ours? In the culture of that day, the kinsman redeemer was a close relative who could marry a childless widow in order to extend out her family line. In other words, if there was a childless widow, she pretty much had no hope of provision or a future unless she had someone to stand in the gap for her. In much the same way, we as sinful people stand before a perfect God with no hope of securing our eternal life in the kingdom of heaven without someone to stand in the gap for us. And that's why we need our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, who literally bought us back by dying on the cross for all of our sins. It's really cool when you think about that, because here we think we're just reading a love story in the book of Ruth, but really it's a foreshadowing of the coming Messiah that they had been waiting for. See, everything in Scripture whispers his name. Naomi's wise guidance to Ruth comes after Ruth has been gathering in Boaz's fields for a couple of months. That's how long these harvests would have lasted. When Ruth had come home the very first day and told Naomi about Boaz, Naomi had to display self-control. We have this picture in our house, and it's all the fruits of the Spirit all listed out, and the last words on that picture are self-control. And my six-year-old yesterday, Addison, was with me, and she was looking at the picture, and she was reading all the words out. And then she looked at me, and she said, Self-control is really hard. It's easy to say, but it's hard to do. And I thought, she is so right. Good insight from my six-year-old. You know, when we think about it in relation to kids, we think, okay, self-control means keeping your hands out of other people's business. Basically, keep your hands to yourself. But really, as adults, isn't it kind of the same thing? Self-control is keeping our hands out of people's business or out of God's business, right? Instead of self-control, a lot of times what we want to practice is situation control. In Naomi's case, when Ruth first came to her she, and told her she'd been in Boaz's field, Naomi knew Boaz could possibly be the one to get them out of their dire circumstances. But instead of trying to jump the gun or manipulate the situation, situation control, Naomi chooses to wait on God's timing, self-control. And her waiting on God allows her to see God unfold this beautiful picture in his own time. And not only that, but it helps Ruth to be able to trust her more. Ruth trusted her so much so that when she advised Ruth what to do about Boaz when it was the right time, Ruth 3.6 says Ruth did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. And what would make a woman do everything her mother-in-law told her to do except extreme wisdom, right? <laughs> Is the redemptive work of God producing wisdom in your life? Wisdom to be patient? God's timing is always on schedule. My timing sometimes is now. I want everything right now or yesterday. But that doesn't seem to be how God usually works. As we allow God to produce wisdom in us, as we wait on his timing, we earn trust with others. 
wisdom and trust with others leads to us making a greater impact. In other words, sometimes we need to just shut our mouths and wait. On Redemption Road, God also takes Naomi's purposelessness and turns it into purpose. You see, Naomi had something to offer to this woman from Moab that was unique. She had her family line, the lineage that she had married into. And it's interesting when you think about that, because I'm sure when she was stuck in Moab for over 10 years without a husband, she questioned her decision to marry him at times. Like, I can just picture she could hear in her mind her mom saying, I told you you should have married that nice boy from down the street. You know, at times I wonder if she doubted the decision she had ever made. And then she lost her sons on top of all of it. And as a widow with essentially nothing to offer her daughter-in-law, in Ruth 120, she tells the women of her town to rename her Mara, meaning bitter. But God hadn't renamed her. In fact, he had given her the perfect family name. For through her family name came the kinsman redeemer, Boaz. Some of you here today need to be reminded that you have purpose. As Ray often says, God made you on purpose for a purpose. Maybe you're sitting here today and you wish that God would redeem your family line. Or maybe it's just that you don't think there's anything special about you and certainly nothing that God could use. But you are who you are for a reason. You are the grandparent God gave to your grandchild. You are the child God gave to your parent. You are the teacher God gave to your class. You are the employee God gave to your boss, not anybody else. Live into that. Sometimes we get caught up thinking that our failures and mistakes disqualify us from living out God's design. When we think that way, we fail to remember his sovereignty. He already worked all of that out in the beginning and designed each person to be specifically in the world where he wanted them for a reason. You know, when Addison was about four months old, we decided we were going to take a family trip to Canada. Now, Ray's told you before that his family owns a cottage in Canada, so we were going to go up and be with family. And we lived in Georgia at the time, so we were going to be going on a very long car trip. We were going to stop in Fort Wayne, Indiana on the way because my sister lives there, but we still had quite a trip ahead of us. So we got on the road, and I was trying to be such a good mom to this brand new baby of ours, climbing back and forth from the front to the back of the car to feed her and change her diaper and make sure all of her needs were met. And we are a few hours into the trip, definitely further along than we could actually turn around and go back. And I realized I had completely failed to pack any documentation that this was our child or she was an American citizen. So what were we going to do at the border? I completely <laughs> freaked out and then did what any parent in that situation does, I guess. I called the border of Canada and asked them what we could do to prove our child was ours. We didn't even have a birth certificate at that point because she was so young. 
Well, they told us all we needed was this paper that we could get from the hospital where she was born, which would be great, except we weren't anywhere near that hospital. So, thankfully, the CEO of the hospital went to our church, and we were able to call some people and get her number, and she pulled some strings and had it all arranged so she was going to fax this document to my brother-in-law's work, and he was going to bring it home, and we were going to get it, and whatever, whatever. And we were taking a deep breath and then suddenly realized we had also failed to bring our passports. So none, none of us at this point were going to be getting into Canada. So to solve that problem, we had to have one of our friends break into another friend's house because he had the key to our house because he was dog sitting for us. And then she had to break into our house and find our passports and dig them out and overnight them to my sister's house. It was a complete disaster. And I'm happy to report actually everything did come in eventually. We were able to get into Canada, have a vacation, and we're all back, including our child, because they believed she was a U.S. citizen. So that's great. But I'm telling you, in the process, I felt like such a failure as a wife and as a mother. Who does that? Who packs to go out of the country and forgets to plan for all of your documentation? I mean, that's the thing you should be checking a million times over. Completely forgot. Maybe it was mommy brain. I don't really know. But in that moment, I thought, Ray and Addison would benefit a lot from having someone else in this role, not me. And it's at times like that when I'm encouraged by quotes like this from J.I. Packer. He says, Guidance, like all God's acts of blessing under the covenant of grace, is a sovereign act. Not merely does God will to guide us in the sense of showing us his way, that we may tread it. He wills also to guide us in the more fundamental sense of ensuring that whatever happens, whatever mistakes we make, we shall come safely home. Slippings and strayings, there will be no doubt, but the everlasting arms are beneath us. We shall be caught, rescued, restored. This is God's promise. This is how good he is. Naomi was a work in progress as we all are. Her life's road was curvy. It even had U-turns in it. But I love that God and his grace inspired the author of Ruth to end it the way that they did, with a genealogy. And part of the genealogy goes like this. Salmon, the father of Boaz, Boaz, the father of Obed, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David. Because of the family line Naomi had to offer, Ruth got to be directly in the line that led to King David. And we know that King David was an ancestor of Jesus. We think that things just happen by chance? There is no way that just happened by chance. It's such a beautiful picture of redemption when we remember that God chose someone outside of his chosen people to be a part of the line of his son, the one who literally divides history. In fact, reading this genealogy reminds me of another genealogy, and this genealogy is found in Matthew 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus. And you see, tucked within one redemption story is another redemption story, and this is how this one goes. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Did you catch that? Rahab was Boaz's mother. The same Rahab spoken of in the book of Joshua. 
Rahab's distinction was that she was a prostitute and a non-Israelite. Upon meeting Israelite spies, before they decimated her homeland, she placed her faith in the one true God who changed her life. It makes more sense then, huh, that Boaz would be so kind to a foreign convert that he would treat her so carefully and show her respect, and he had such great faith. You have to wonder where he learned those lessons, and I'm guessing in large part from his mama. Naomi is not mentioned in the genealogy at all. Did you notice that? But if it hadn't been for Naomi, Ruth wouldn't be there either. Have you ever noticed when you look down a road, it just seems to go on and on? You can, you can only see so far. But when you think about that, that's such a perfect picture of Naomi's life. Because you see, even after it was over and she was gone, the things that she had left behind and the people she left behind lived on. And that is a legacy. On Redemption Road, God took Naomi's lackluster legacy and turned it in to a lasting legacy. I think we all here today, all of us, would say, well, I want to leave a legacy like Naomi. I want to be remembered well. I want to leave a mark on the world that goes on and on. The real question is, what kind of legacy are we leaving? Will we be known for how we could always win at whatever competition was brought our way or that we sure knew how to shop? Will we be known for what we posted on social media or that our house was always clean and perfectly in order? God wants to do for us what he did for Naomi. As we walk Redemption Road, he wants to take our bumps and turns, mistakes and mishaps, and turn them into things that are used for his glory. And as we humbly allow his transformation in our lives, we will be able to leave a legacy that lasts far into the future.